Radio shows you love from the people you know. This is Sam Talks Technology. Hello, good afternoon, Marlo. Hello, the web. How are we all? Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's a Wednesday. Thank you for joining us. And I have to say, I've got my special guest with me today. Uh, he's David Terra. Let me tell you a little bit about him before I introduce him onto the mic. David is one of the founders of a company called Agile Elephant, which is a wonderful name, and we'll learn more about that. He's a digital transformation expert. He's working with the NHS or future NHS, uh, and we're going to learn how and what solutions they're putting in place to do that. He's also working with a really cool online TV broadcasting company called Disruptive Live, which we'll learn more about. And he's got so many other things. Um, I love the fact he's been in the IT industry over 40 years now. <laughs> you don't look it, David. And uh, he actually, oh, there's a story about how he got his job at IBM we will tell you about. It just beggars belief how he got that job. Um, he's all obviously writing a book. Everyone is. I need to write one soon. But no, it's brilliant. He's got, this one's called Reinvention Impossible. And we'll learn why that is. It's to do with Alice and the looking glass um we're also in the second half of the show we're going to be talking about the two pivotal years in technology one that david thinks was 2007 and why that was and why i think 2020 is a pivotal year the next wave so welcome david how are you um it's great to be here good good stuff. uh we've just had a lovely lunch in cooper's did you enjoy that yeah it's great great panini and good <laughs> good coffee good yeah. atmosphere and vibe in that place we love we love cooper's here at marlow fm anyway let's get back to what we're here to do we're here to talk about business and technology so currently today you work for or you're a founder of agile elephant who and what is agile elephant it's a consultancy that's all about digital transformation so we help organizations uh figure out their digital strategy make sense of, of, of the current business landscape uh, and we have a particular expertise in in collaboration solutions because uh when it comes to an organization being uh, nimble and agile and actually uh, changing uh, in this rapid, uh, rapidly changing landscape, we think uh, having a properly implemented enterprise social network or social collaboration solution to connect together all of your employees is a must to get that right. So that's all we work on that too. And how long's Agile Elephant been going? January 2014. So we're, uh, yeah, yeah, five years. Okay. And uh, before we get on to some of the case studies and examples that mm. we want to talk about, um, how did you come about with the name Agile Elephant? I mean, it brings a picture to your mind. It's brilliant. So. Well, well the, the three founders, that's, that's uh, uh, me, Alan Patrick, and, and Janet Parkinson. We've known each other a long time. Um, we uh, put together an event that was part of Social Media Week that we used to run on a regular basis called Patchwork Elephant. And then in, in the 17, 18, uh, September 2013 version of that uh, event, that's when we suddenly thought, hey, let's turn this into a business. And, and, and we, we joined together to form this consultancy. Um, we couldn't call it Pat Patchwork Elephant because we couldn't get the rights to Elmer the Elephant uh, as our logo. And so we, we swept out um, Patchwork and I, I suggested we should go Agile. And it really comes from, um, it's the story of the big organisation can actually be nimble, can actually change fast and adapt. And, and part of it comes from Lou Gerstner's book about his turnaround for IBM, Making the Elephant Dance, which actually comes from a, a Rosbeth Moss Cantor book about making the giant dance. And then there's a, a Charles Handy book about the elephant and the flea. And the other, the other kind of ingredient is, is a, a, an Indian parable you'll know about six blind men feeling an elephant. And one fills a wall, one fills a tree, one fills a snake. Uh, and the, the digital transformation 
topic is viewed differently by everyone and, and that's part of the challenge no i think it's a perfect uh, perfect name for the company the, the other thing is that uh, is that people often say well how can an elephant be agile and and those are the people who haven't actually been up close and personal with an elephant in the wild because when you have you know how agile they can be right okay <laughs> i haven't been uh, i haven't been that close to an elephant but that's okay i, I will Next time I'm with an elephant, I'll ask to see if it can dance. Good. Um, okay, so uh, give me an example of a company you're currently working with. I think one we wanted to talk about was Future NHS. Yeah. yeah. Um, and how how do you guys go in and work with them? Interesting. Well, actually, um, they'd um, started a collaboration project um, before they'd met us, and, and actually they they asked us to um, to um, help them produce a, a business case and an ROI for what they've done to help them take them take it to the next level and actually roll it out across the NHS um, and and so, so we, that's that's what started us, us off we're working with them and then we've been working with them ever since basically there's a a, a five-year forward view in, in for NHS England on in terms of improving the NHS and getting better patient outcomes and as part of that view they have a collaboration platform which they brand as future nhs which is uh essentially trying to cross all of the different organizational silos um so our customers in nhs england um the nhs is actually the third largest employer in the world after uh, uh walmart and, and the chinese army <laughs> but but it's not, but it's not really uh, one organization it's you know it's 273 different organizations different different um uh, trusts, different um, CCGs, and, and and all sorts of different uh, things. Uh, you know, some private, some some public, all trying to work together. And one of the complications they've got is that they've all got different siloed systems. They put together this platform across the top of the organisation to actually get people talking together. You know, we, we discovered that um, you know a policy document um, might have been developed 36 times uh, and, and what they didn't have was doesn't surprise me yeah and, and you know so much waste uh, and, and so they, it's really they're just doing the, the simple basics of collaboration where they're getting people to think have I created this before if so let's use that one as a starting block and, and getting people talking together it's a really interesting platform that they've, they've put together that is slowly rolling out we, we when we first met them they had 5,000 users on it as of today they've got 40, 45,000 users on it and that's active users rather than just people that have signed up to use it and, and the plan is to roll it out across progressively across more and more of the nhs and get more and more of it talking to each other so um one of the companies that you were telling me that's been instrumental in in making this transformation is a company called cahoots yes yeah it's interesting when they they came up with the concept of doing this collaboration solution um uh, they, they went to it within nhs and, and they said that sounds great let's do it on sharepoint and they went Microsoft to SharePoint. Microsoft SharePoint. Yeah. Um, and, and they went to the communications part of the NHS, NHS England, and they said, that sounds great, do it on Jive, which is another social collaboration platform. In, in, in the end, they decided to do their own thing, and actually they chose a, um, a, a nine-person company based in Newbury in the UK, a company called Cahoots, K-A-H-W-T-Z, as you said, um, and, and that's what the future NHS platform is, is built on. It's a, um, a product that's used in other parts of, of, of government, in the MOD, Highways Agency and the like. Re really, really great firm, really, 
really nice people. They've got a really good kind of project, extranet oriented kind of collaboration project. Project, but the thing that made it makes it work in the NHS is it's dead simple to use. Very, you know, people people uh, get on well with it uh, without any training whatsoever. They just pick it up and use it, and 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 use it beyond the original intention of of, of the NHS England people. They're actually you know, finding out, you know their own business business uh, use cases to to use it in lots of different ways. Yeah, I'm just on their website now, which is cahoots.com. Altogether smarter working is their strapline. Yes, secure collaboration in the cloud, the safest way to work together online. Yeah. Nice and simple. Get it. Yeah, and, and, and the we, we actually work with a, a, a French research firm uh, called Leco, L-E-C-K-O, who, who kind of, um, for the last 11 years, they've actually analysed the social collaboration marketplace. And every year they produce a report, which, the first half of which is, is kind of how our enterprise is using this kind of stuff. And the second half of, of, of the report actually compares and contrasts um, up now about 60 different solutions, Microsoft Office 365 and uh, Slack and uh, Jive and IBM Connections, all, all of the available uh, solutions pretty, pretty much. And they, they kind of uh, assess the functionality. Cahoots as a product covers 80% of what any um, good collaboration solution should do and, and does in a really neat and easy to understand and uh, easy to use way. Yeah, I'm just looking. Peter Jackson's the CEO and CTO of this yeah. company. Yeah. Uh, and I, again, looking at his history, he's, he's been a very successful founder. He sold something called Smart Groups, yeah. a pioneering social networking website to FreeServe in yeah. 2000 for 60 million quid. Yeah. He's, he's the, uh, and, and from that point of view, he's the kind of chief architect of the solution. And, 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 um, and his kind of right-hand man is a guy called John Glover who, who runs sales and marketing for him. And, uh, and they're a really nice, uh, you know, small sound UK business with a really great story. It's the kind of thing that, uh, that you know, we, we need more of, we need more people to yeah. understand what, what a great job the UK is doing in this kind of tech business. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, certainly it's worth checking them out a little bit more. Anyway, so that's Cahoots. Um, but Agile Elephant isn't the only thing you do. Yeah. What else do you get up to? Well, Agile Elephant kind of has has relationships with, with another three organisations, um, one of which uh, is disruptive live that you mentioned earlier so that's a tech tv channel um that uh, uh does uh, live streaming of uh, events and they have two studios just off uh, south bank behind the oxo tower and they've their, their, their business model is kind of uh, uh, you know sponsorship from from tech vendors or or, or actually selling these services to, to companies who want to amplify their events uh, and what makes them different is that most people doing video content these days shoot it and then do the post-production afterwards which is where a lot of the cost comes in. Disruptive, film everything as if live, even if they're only recording it. And they do all the, the kind of vision mixing in line and the lower thirds and all that kind of stuff that people creating video know. And, and it's like live TV. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and so uh, that, that's, their, that's the thing that makes them different. They're really good at it and, and they've got some really great uh, relationships. And so, so we, we work with, with them to, to kind of uh, help sell their services to customers or, or to help our customers get, get amplified by, by this kind of stuff. And, and their focus is what? CIOs, uh, IT industry only? Uh, th- I mean, m- most of their customers are uh, tech vendors like IBM, Tech Data, um, and, and, and those companies' partners. But they also, I mean, they also do stuff for, um, like they, they do a show for Pate Boulay. Uh, they're very strong in the LGBT community and, and, and they've actually um, kind of amplified pride um, uh, for, for many years. Um, but, but yeah, the, the, the people that run the company uh, come from 
the t- from the tech industry and the channel. So so that tends to be where most of the customers are. Yeah, who is behind it? Because on their website, there is no details about them at all. The um, Daniel Thomas, uh, who's uh, an East Ender and a, and a West Ham supporter like me, come on your eyes. Yeah, we'll talk about <laughs> that later. <laughs> so Dan, Dan Thomas is uh, is the uh, the founder and, and, and chief exec. The person who runs uh, Disruptive, well, actually they're joint MDs, uh, a woman called um, uh, Vicky Kersey and uh, a guy called uh, Andrew McLean. Andrew's the kind of creative brains behind the TV side of things and, he, and, and so he runs Disruptive Live for... Uh, for Dan, uh, and, and again, so you're 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 one of the presenters there occasionally. Yeah, I mean, I've um, we had a strong relationship with them because the other part of their business is called Compare the Cloud, and it's kind of like a media site for cloud stuff. And, and um, I've been involved in the cloud space since before we called it cloud, uh, and uh, and been involved in various. Um, Vendor organisations, an organisation called EuroCloud, a kind of member organisation promoting the concept of of cloud for business. Uh, And now I'm a director of something called the Cloud Industry Forum uh, and um, and I'm their deputy chair. Um, EuroCloud was acquired by Cloud Industry Forum. Uh, and and um, I'd uh, we'd met compared the cloud because they were a member of the organisation and and then started to do business with them over time. Great, um, again worth checking them out. Mm. Disruptive dot live. Yeah, yeah no, nice. they, they do a great job. And interestingly, they're through me. They're now connected to the other two companies that that, that we work yeah. with. So what's the other one? Um, so we've got um, a company, an events company called Trafford Associates that creates uh, an, an, an event that runs in near Silverstone and Manchester and it's going to hopefully happen in Dubai and maybe even Singapore called CIO Transformation Live and so we work with with them to, to help them make that, that better and obviously CIOs and business leaders are our, are our uh, digital trans- transformation audience so it's good to work with those guys and they've just started um, CIO Transformation TV in conjunction with Disruptive and then the other organisation we work with is a, um, we've been a, a kind of a partner with for the last four years is a, um, an analyst firm called Bloor who I know you remember from from a while back yeah the old days robin blore well robin was the founder um and he left the the company about 15 years ago and actually confusingly went to america and started uh, the blore group so the blore group and uh, and and blore research international international are two separate organizations but both founded by the same guy um so we, we're their partner for dis- digital transformation issues and actually the partnerships just got stronger over the last couple of year, a couple of months because that organization has been acquired by an outfit called allied worldwide um who are based up not too far from here in High Wycombe and Bangalore um, that do... That's uh, not near here. <laughs> no, you're right. I'm pretty sure Bangalore's not near here. <laughs> they do IT outsourcing and stuff. And, right. and, and they, they, uh, they, they liked the, uh, the Bloor story, so they've acquired, uh, acquired Bloor and, and actually we're, we're helping them expand their message beyond technology to the, the people and the business issues around transforming an organisation uh, all, all around a concept called mutable business, as in... Okay. As as in, you know, in today's environment, unless you actually start to uh, think of, of your organisation being in, in what we call a permanent state 
of reinvention, you're not going to survive. You have to. You can't just uh, work on on old business as usual timescales. You have to start thinking of a rapid change and competing with yourself all the time. Because if you don't, someone else will. But haven't we heard this message for decades? I mean, it, it's not a new message. I mean, even 20 years ago when I was in IT in corporate land, yeah. I, you know, we were hearing about Six Sigmas and we were hearing about digital transformation then and it was all about being agile and nimble and and fundamentally big companies just don't do it, do they? Well, the thing is they can. Um, you're right that we've been talking about this for a long time. I mean... Um, the word digital comes into the lexicon from um, uh, Nicholas Negroponte uh, collecting together a bunch of articles that he wrote for Wired in 1995. So the first kind of book about digital was his being digital in 1995. Um, so we've been talking about digital for that uh, for that long, right through the, the, the whole kind of uh, evolution of the internet into where we are now. Um, and you're right that 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 uh, reinvention and, and transformation is been a key component of, of getting business right. Uh, I, I'd argue that the, the difference between then and now is that the rate of change has accelerated beyond whatever we might, might have imagined. And so today's environment is very different from then. So it's actually, uh, it's always been important. It's even more important today if you're going to survive. Plenty of examples of you know, very strong brands that, that did a great job up to a certain point and then didn't change with the times, whether it's a, a Kodak or a Nokia uh, or, you know, organisations like that, where at one point they were a market leader and within two years, suddenly they're almost nowhere. Yeah, that's more the innovator's dilemma though, isn't it? That you, you, Your cash cow, I mean, Microsoft was close to that. Mm -hmm. I think if it stuck with Steve Barber, I think Microsoft could have disappeared because... They, have they not reinvented themselves to be fundamentally a cloud company? Office and Windows are now no longer their cash cows. Their cash cow is, is Azure, really. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I absolutely agree with you. Under, under Balmer, they were going nowhere. And, and I was Fast. Like, I, I, I just happened to be in a couple of meetings with Sachin Nadella uh, about 10, 10 or 11 years ago, and I'm so delighted when he got the job to take over because he is just super smart. I know. And, Indian. I've just and, got to say Indian. <laughs> very true. happy we are taking over we're at google you know we've got google we've got microsoft we've got coke we've got pepsi yeah we're working our way through all of them now excellent but i mean very few uh, hardly any ceos in an organization that that size would actually you know recognize how the, the fact that he actually kind of uh, you know cannibalized his own business to move forward to the next step uh, yeah you know, to, to actually shift properly from the cloud and actually turn off all of that wonderful license revenue coming from exchange and, and and the like that's a bold move in a big company and it comes back to our, our, our agile elephant story big companies can do things like that you've got to get the leadership and the mindset right and you've got to think of you uh, like a startup rather than like a big corporation worrying about the uh, the, the quarterly results and the shareholders yeah it's, and we'll come back to that but i mean jeff bezos is famous for that he, his blog is called day one mm. um and it's all about fundamentally staying mm. agile staying nimble keeping the business as if it was day one yeah, no, totally and and the, and the small teams thing you know the two pizza uh, rule that kind of thing that you know all, all of those components sorry the two pizza rule yes what's that 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 basically means that uh, you know if, if you've got a a, a, a team that, that can't be fed by two large pizza pizzas yeah. then the team's too big so but who said that um i thought that well, it came from amazon so okay, uh, okay. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Could be <laughs> i just never heard it before i got i got what it meant i'm just wondering who said it that I, was think, all. I think it was a jeff bezos thing but maybe i got Wrong. Cheapskate. You what can a Google cheapskate. I <laughs> wonder if you could order it. Could I have another pizza, please, Amazon? <laughs> Alexa, order the pizza. Anyway, yes. So, um, 
agile companies, I, yeah. I as I say, it, it, it is this thing that's been going on what feels like forever. Every company is in some sort of transformation model, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it does feel... I was talking to somebody the other day, he was asking me a question, why do startup entrepreneurs eventually become stick-in-the-mud CEOs? And I say, actually, it's not the entrepreneurs. What they do is they've been taught, whether it's through VC funding or through older mentors, that they get to a certain level that they've got to bring in what we call professional corporate HR, professional corporate yeah. people. I saw this in the early days of Microsoft where we took on a whole bunch of salespeople from IBM and DEC, and it just became a big, stodgy, sticky corporate. Yeah. All the, the speed of thinking just got sucked out the company. Um, and it's, I, I blame HR most of the time for this. They put in all these processes that just literally are treacle to a company it, you know this is the the old-fashioned business as usual thinking that we have to get away from i'm a huge fan of um simon sinek's book book start yeah, with why saw him recently yeah. in the how yeah. to academy excellent i mean obviously that, that um uh the tedx talk that he did is one of i think it's the third most watched um ted talk um and, and he's absolutely right that that um, organizations get after, after the usually after the founders left they get bound up with what they do and how they do it and the mechanics of the business and kind of forget their why forget why you know why it is that they yeah, do it's what called they do. start with why isn't yeah it? that's right and and it, you know it's it's a great book um and and a, and a great concept he talks about the golden circle that um which is the how what why with why at the center and most organizations have forgotten that um and, and it's very difficult to get them back. But, I mean, Apple is a perfect example where um, uh, Steve Jobs left and did other things and then got brought back when they, when they acquired his company. And, he, you know, eventually when, when, when he, he became the interim CIO, um, you know, a couple of things that he did straight away, which I, I'm, I'm intrigued by. Um, one of the things he did was he took away the, the museum of, of Apple's history from from the the where you where you come into the head office, because he wanted to think about the past. He wanted to think about again to think about the future. And the other thing he did was he rationalised the product range because un, under um, Scully and, and the other CEO I've forgotten the name of, they'd actually expanded the product range. So they were into all sorts. They were even badging Hewlett Packard well, printers and stuff. R rumor is that's exactly what Tim Cook's doing. It, I mean, potentially, potentially it is. But I mean, he he actually chopped seventy percent of the of, of the product range out, yeah. you know, out, out of the, out of the books. Yeah. And, you know, in the first six months and gone to focus back on, on, on you know, what was really important. Yeah, and I th as I said, I think if you've read um, Walter Isaacson's book on Steve Jobs, it's yeah. a brilliant book. Yeah, it is. And, you know, that's exactly what he did, and he, he just cut through the crap, yeah. basically. But what worries me is when I look at Apple, um, Tim Cook is this new Steve... I call him the new Steve Barmer, right? I think he is, he's brilliant at... Uh, ringing the last dollar out of every process and getting the supply chain right and, and getting the product to market. I think they are the least innovating company around at the moment. Microsoft Surface is a better innovative platform than mm. the MacBook uh, you know, itself. I think the iPhone has become really quite stodgy and we'll, come and we'll talk about why I think in, in, the, in the section after the news... Um, why 2007 was such an Im implosive year. But I just, ha I mean, I've got an iPhone 6 Plus. I don't want to upgrade. I don't see any value. Yeah, a little quicker battery, a little bit of better camera. It it's just not innovative. And I think the problem is, and they've just lost Johnny Ive this week. Sir Johnny Ive, even. Yeah. No, I have to agree with you that, that, that actually, I'm, I'm, um, 
I've been a, a sort of a late entrant Apple fanboy. I mean, I, I you know, uh, as we're going to talk about in a while, perhaps, the, the iPhone was announced in 2007. I, I stayed BlackBerry until, uh, you know, 2010, as a lot of people did. And the most uh, successful smartphone in the UK at the end of 2009 was the BlackBerry, wasn't it? It wasn't the iPhone. Um, but... Uh, Do you still want a keyboard, don't you? A physical keyboard on your phone? <laughs> That's why I stayed BlackBerry, exactly. Because exactly. I, I, I was used to my Scion Revo, if you can remember those. Um, oh, I do, the, the clamshell one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I had, yeah. That was really cool. See, I'm not as young as I look. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but, uh, I mean, I thought Tim Cook was going to do a really good job because I thought he had the good people around him, you know, like Schiller and, and the like. I have to admit that the first time uh, I've, I've begun to worry was when I heard Johnny Ive was was leaving, and, and obviously, uh, obviously his main customer is going to be Apple itself. No, but the, but, that, but the fact that he's that's left a figurehead story. <laughs> that's like saying um, I'm going to go home and spend more time with my family. My 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 will my biggest customer is going to be the company I just left. No, it's not. That's just lip service, yeah. and I think. Uh, it's, uh, Tim Cook was angry. He he um, emailed the um, Wall Street Journal, um, the the reporter, and saying, "You've got this totally wrong. You just don't understand what we're doing." And and blah blah blah. <laughs> you know what? I I think when Steve Jobs left and Johnny Ive became a periphery for a long time, he's, the last two devices that I think he's had influence on has been the AirPod yeah. and the watch. Yeah. Um, and I think you know I, the. The AirPod was laughed at when it first came out. You know, people thought it just looked stupid. Um, a report came out this week that said the AirPod is actually one of the worst earphones that you can buy <laughs> because um, it hasn't got any um, background noise cancellation. Okay. So what people are doing is they're putting it in their ears and they're whacking the volumes up really high to try and get any sound out of it. And going deaf. And going deaf. And, it's, and <laughs> oh, that was God. what the report was about. So uh, I, was, I was talking to somebody who has basically bought um, a little cover that goes over the top of, it's like a $15 cover that goes over the top of the AirPod and it makes it like a, a uh, one of those in-your-ear type things. Yeah. So it cuts out all the background noise and it makes it three times, four times better. But Johnny, I wouldn't put anything like that because it fundamentally didn't aesthetically look good. So practically. So the AirPods, smart. They've got Siri in it, which isn't smart. And um, so I don't see any value in it. But uh, clearly people have now taken to them i don't have any do you have them i'm a beats x person uh, okay but i mean i i just fundamentally don't have them because i know i'd lose them that's <laughs> no that's, I, I have to say that i i, I looked at that thing and think that's going to be falling out my ears all the time I don't yeah want, no I don't want that if i was going to go anywhere out with it it just i'd lose it it would just be gone but maybe maybe not um and then the watch i do like the watch actually the apple watch i don't wear a watch anymore but um i would i, I probably might consider buying yeah, the Watch 5 when it comes out. I'm getting to that age where I need to keep a check on, you know, the heartbeat and the old blood pressure. And, and if a watch can do that for me constantly, I, I'm, I might invest in it. I, I'm uh, resisting the urge. I mean, the, the watch, the tag or I'm wearing is a, is a present from, from Kim, my wife, uh, and I, I can't take this off, but uh, hopefully it'll break sometime. better so, man so. than me. I've got a tag at home and it's in a cupboard. Oops, sorry, Jill. <laughs> Yes, that was my 30th birthday present, a lovely tag. Um, no, I just, I don't wear them. I just, I, I've got out of the habit, I think, um, just because I look at the time on my phone and it's just, a, I think a watch is a singular device. It's, I think the tag is much more of a male jewellery element. I, I, I admit that. <laughs> 
no problem. I wear, by, big... I wear the odd ring as well. So yeah, you know. I wear big cufflinks. Anyone who's, <laughs> who knows me well enough, flowery shirts and big cufflinks. Um, no, so I think going back to it, I think Apple and digital transformation is going to be something that they really fundamentally need to do. And I just mm. don't think Tim Cook's up to it. Yeah, you may be right. I, it's, it's difficult. I, what I, do I know? He's <laughs> worth billions. And I'm worth not. Yeah, they're in a tricky situation because after you've invented the uh, the iPhone and the iPad, um, and uh, you know where do you go next? It's it's, um, it's it's not obvious. I mean, the, the, sh- the shift into services uh, is a very logical thing for them to do, and obviously that that's that's a good money generator for mm. them. But but yeah, but, but people would like what the next jack- gadget is going to be, and, and it's difficult to see where that's coming from. Yeah, but you know, I, I always say, in hindsight, every every idea is obvious, right? Mm. Um, I mean, the iPod was sat in front of our eyes if we were intelligent enough to look at it, right? Well, it's interesting that, that that's all about user experience because you know, pre iPod, I'd been buying. Um, Oh God! Well, I've forgotten the brand names, but but digital, um, you know, uh, music players for my, for my cousins, uh, and they were user hostile. I mean, you know, really difficult to set up and use, yeah. and and that's why the iPod succeeded because it actually it actually turned something that was there. Same is true true of the smartphone. I mean, there are plenty of, of, of smartphones made by Nokia and Motorola and, and and HP with the iPad and and and, and stuff like that, and then suddenly the uh, the iPhone comes along. It took a little while, but eventually the user experience of of, of of that touchscreen totally changed the, the game and that's why everybody went that way. So would you say, just, I mean, and we should move on to the next part, but would you say, you see, the, iP- the iPod came about, if you, again, as I said from the book, and Walter Isaacson says that Steve Jobs saw his daughter carrying a load of CDs around and said, well, logically, I must be able to shove all of this onto one device digitally. Yeah. Um, and I always think, even if you had done that, the user interface, that circle, that wheel, yeah. was the killer. Yeah, yeah, no. So yeah. Is, was that Johnny Ives' brilliance in the wheel, or was that Steve Jobs' brilliance in taking the, the leap of faith into combining everything into a digital device? Well, I think. I, th- I mean, I, I think it's more uh, the design of the user experience because I think you know the, the um, condensing all the CDs. You know, that had already been done by others, but by the, you know the, the other brands that had digital players out before the iPod. But it was actually you know turning it into a very easy thing for me to actually download and and, and, and play music, and then actually using the device itself. That the, as you say, the click wheel and, and uh, you know was was genius compared to the the, the buttons and the user hostility of, of the the products that came before it. That's that's what uh, Jobs was so good at. We're, we're, you know, cr- crystallising it in, in, into really good user experience and and and, and also being being able to. Um, explain it tell the story of it i mean you know uh, it, it, actually you know re- announcing it with you know as a thousand a thousand uh, tunes in your pocket uh, is is a much better way than the bits and bytes and and uh, gigabytes that another company like a, a microsoft might have, might have uh, presented it as yeah and i do you do you remember the video when he launched the iphone 3 yeah um, and he basically put up what it was and one more thing. Yeah. It's yeah. a phone. That's right, yeah. Yeah, because he announced it as, as like three things. So was it for three things or four things that he announced? Uh, and, and then, exactly, it's actually it's all, all just the one thing. I'm just trying to see if I can get it up quickly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's one of those really iconic moments. If you go onto YouTube yeah. and you look at it, and, and it was just that one more thing. Um, <laughs> Anyway, I'll see if I can find it. In um, so uh, yes, going back to digital transformation, then I think I think Apple's is going to struggle. Mm. I think Google is struggling actually um, in terms of I think uh, Alphabet 
as a company, their CFO, who's a woman, has killed a lot of the moonshot projects that they do. Mm. Um, and it, it, again, it, it, this is my thing. Professional corporate people have come in and they've just added process and stickiness and it's just clogged the whole thing up. And I just think, oh, well, that's that them done. I mean, again, um, we were talking off air about, you know, would you, you're a Google Home mm. uh, smart assistant person. I'm an Amazon Alexa person. Mm. And I just said, I, I, I don't ever trust Google again um, with anything. I won't invest my time or money into any of their products well in, in a small way you're, you're absolutely right in that uh, part of the reason i went google home was because they have a uh, a, a chromecast interface um a, a digital interface to uh, chromecast audio so that you so if you've got a conventional hi-fi system i'm, I'm a music nut uh, used to, before kids used to invest a huge amount of money in uh, in, in hi-fi um, so I've got all that existing hi-fi that I'm not, not just going to swap out for, for something else. I could connect my Google Home to it, as I have. So, so two systems in, in, in my house are kind of connected to, to Google Home, and I can do the, uh, the, Spot, the, the Spotify thing through them. But that is another product that Google has discontinued. There's, yeah. there's no Chromecast audio anymore. And no reason why, yeah. other than they got bored. And, and they're consolidating on, on Nest and couldn't see a reason for it. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute, there's loads of people with, with you know, legacy hi-fi that, you know, that actually like the fact that they've got huge speaker towers and, 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 and big, big meaty power amps. Yeah, I've got them. I've got Bang & Olufsen all yeah, over the house, yeah. and, but I've integrated it with my Alexa and it works beautifully. Yeah. And, you know, I just say, Madame A, play X, and it comes out whatever room I've got my speakers in. It's brilliant. Very good. Yeah, and, but, but my, pro- my problem is, I, I just think with Google, you know, my favourite all-time Google, second all-time favourite, because Search clearly is the all-time favourite, um, second all-time favourite was the RSS Reader. Yeah. And I, you know, when, you know, when I was doing TechCrunch in the early days, yeah. um, that's how I got my news. I, you know, I had PR Newswire, I had all the blogs like yours and everyone else's, yep. and I just aggregated it all into one place. I didn't have to go all over the internet to find it. It was brilliant. I just could read down a list, see what was interesting. Bang! Thank you very much. But but then that's I, I totally get that. And the uh, Google themselves, I mean, they were the twenty-first um, search company. To exist, um, you know, people forget that we, you know, we had Alta Vista and also and, hey, and I'm Yahoo. Marketing yeah, guy for Alta Vista. Yeah, all right. Don't- I didn't realise I was a partner of Larry Krauss in, in, in his second incarnation with, with Jotspot yeah I was the marketing director for a company called CMGI which owned uh, AltaVista Navio 2 Rome <sighs> and 60 other companies yeah. but um, I mean I imagine that you know that there's some organisation you know working in a garage somewhere that we've not heard of that's going to be the next big thing that will potentially take over a, a Google or an Apple and go beyond them oh in, in when the, we talk about the futures I'll yeah. tell you what's going to kill Google oh yeah it's, it's not here forever we talk about companies like kodak and we talk about nokia i I fundamentally believe google is on a very sticky wicket because the search index model won't change that's brilliant don't get me wrong i'm not saying the algorithm is wrong and they can you know can tweet that it's the ad model it's their ad model is wrong and i think uh i'll I'll tell you more about why i think google's ad model will um after the news we'll talk about that Um, um but okay so digital transformation that's all good um you you fundamentally think we've just evolved and companies can change much more quickly now. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Let's take a little bit, have a step back. Young David. <laughs> let's rewind 40 years ago. Maybe a little bit before that. You were at university. What were you studying? I was studying physics at University College London. And not just physics. 
Well, actually, uh, when I as a teenager, my, my ambition was to be an elementary elementary particle physicist, working at a place in Switzerland called CERN that back then no one would ever have heard of. And but, now uh, is the place where it's <laughs> going to kill us all. Yes. But however, yeah. So my first contact with uh, with technology was actually um, typing Fortran statements uh, on an IBM 029 card punch to then send them off to the um, uh, the, the, the IBM mainframe that UCL had, um, which were my elementary particle phys- uh, physics experiments. I think you just lost every millennial. I then. can imagine that. Every millennial's looking at themselves <laughs> card going, punch. card punch, <laughs> Fortran, mainframe. <laughs> he's talking Swahili, that boy. I have no idea what he's on about. Um, yes, those, those good old days. I had one of those mainframey things back in my school. Um, yeah, at Loughborough. And um, I had no interest. I Seriously, I was playing rugby. There was no, what's that thing over there? It's a big box, no idea. Well, um, during my degree, I realised that uh, actually I couldn't handle the jump in maths to, to really be a, 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 you know, a Stephen Hawking or, or whoever. Um, not aiming high, then. Not aiming high, no. Um, so uh, I, I, I kind of um, carried on through my degree, not really having a clue what I was going to do other than being an elementary particle physicist. And so at the end of it, I applied to a whole load of places um, for a job. And the first company to offer me a job happened to be called IBM. And, uh, and I joined them very much straight from university. Uh, in, in fact, they, they wanted me to start a week before my finals finished. Um, That's not very nice. I could have let you finish. <laughs> no, uh, you'll laugh at this. I got a telegram. Now, again, you've just lost every millennial. (laughs) Please explain Telegram to them. They have no idea what you're talking about, David. And we're only talking 40 years ago. It's crazy, but yeah. Yeah, So this piece of paper with with, with typing on it uh, arrived, which was a, 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 a... an instant message of its day from uh, the personnel director saying, can you start on this Monday? And this Monday was actually uh, in the last week of my finals. What was the pigeon called? <laughs> exactly, could have been. No, no, it wasn't quite carrier pigeon. Okay. It did come, come in a post office van. But, um, yeah, so, so uh, I, it was a really heavy selling job I had to do on this guy called George Wilson, the personnel director, to let me join the training course a week late. So I actually did my last... Uh, exam on a Friday, had the weekend off, and started the world of work on a Monday, with uh, on, on an IBM training course as a, as a systems engineer. Ah, yes. Well, we have one thing in common. I started at Microsoft as a systems engineer. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. So uh, IBM, you're in IBM, and uh, you've just joined, and it's all big boxes. But you didn't work in the big box division uh, back, back then. IBM was split into three divisions: the the, the de- data processing division that did the mainframes, general systems division which did the mid mid range computers mini computers and and office products division which did typewriters and copiers and IBM was into all sorts of stuff back then um, really happy that I happened to join the middle bit because that was actually um, you know, mini computers with business application software and, and what was to become ERP and, and, and that kind of thing and so I, I learned about the business uh, you know implementing those kind of solutions for customers yeah in those days you never got sacked for buying IBM did you it was a, a big part of the, uh, the allure and, mm. and, and, and interestingly um, um, one of the other things about IBM back then unusually for sort of 70s and 80s was that I, I had women managers and women men Mentors, and it was only when I left IBM in '86 and went out to the real world, I, I discovered that uh, life wasn't quite like that in the rest of the world. Top two in IBM are women. Yeah, absolutely. Still to this day. And in, in the the next. 
two companies that I work for after IBM um, in charge of the sales force. I, I hired the first um, female sales, sales lady in, in, in both places. And the second time it was actually she was uh, an Indian lady. I, I'm saying no more. And you just wouldn't believe the grief that I got from the sales team for doing that. Yeah, I can imagine. Just, so I, I wish we'd moved on significantly from back then. Sadly, we've still got a long way to go. Well, the, the woman who heads up Cisco is an Indian woman. So there you go. Uh, it's not about your gender. It's what between your ears. That's my firm belief anyway. Totally agree. Um, so, uh, while you are in IBM, you were doing what, really? One of the things you talked about was this thing called spin selling. Oh, right, yeah. So, um, IBM had just... Um, Please explain. Right. Situation, uh, problem, implication, need, payoff. S-B-I-N. It's an acronym. And uh, who was the inventor of that? Uh, an, an outfit called Hathaway Research Group. No, wasn't there... What was the name of the guy? Uh, um, to, 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 uh, Roger... I'll look it up while you tell me more about it. That, that guy, actually, basically, he, he, he ran the first um, training... Well, what what Hathaway had done is they'd actually uh, researched the market of sales professionals yep. and analysed what worked and what didn't. It's, 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 exa- it's the approach that I like. I mean, we're, um, we're, we're Agile Elephant is into, is into what works, um, you know, uh, what doesn't and, and what next. Um, that's what they did with, with uh, the, the, you know, sales professionals questioning techniques. And they figured out the ones that were more effective and actually, actually um, worked better and then distilled that into an approach which, which became this, this a process of asking questions, situational questions to figure out what's going on and then problem questions to get to the need and then the implications of that need and then the need payoff to say, aha, I've got a solution which does this. Are you interested? And it's, it's a, a selling technique that's informed lots of other selling techniques and, I, and as you know, because I pulled it out at lunch, that I, I've still carried the little plastic card that, um, that, that I was given in that uh, course way back in, I'm not going to say what year it's it was. It's laminated as well, just ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> It's never going to dwindle out. It's, it's never left my, my wallet since then. So Indeed. It, Neil Rackman was the name of the person. That's the guy. And it was Neil Rackman. Actually, um, uh, he came along to the course and, and he's number two, actually actually trained uh, trained us. Uh, he's the guy that's called Roger something. But yeah, you're right. It was Neil Rackman. Yeah, I interviewed uh, a really nice guy uh, the other day for the show called Marcus Couchkey. Yeah. Uh, really, really smart guy on yeah. uh, channel sales selling. Yeah. And uh, Marcus... Um, his learning for selling comes from somebody called Sandler. Have you come across Sandler? I have. I, I, I haven't done, done I that. I was just wondering that. if you had and yeah. how you co- compare and contrast spin selling to Sandler. I think that'll be an interesting... I'm not a salesperson or an expert in that space. You, you've come across solution selling? Yes, yeah. Because it's essentially uh, uh, solution selling was actually put together by a bunch of guys from, from, uh, that, that, that were from the, the core team that invented spin and, and kind of took it to the next level to turn it into, in, in, you know, from, from just selling a product into selling a, a, a total solution. So... I, I, that's a, an approach that I, I'm, uh, I've got a lot of time for, except for the fact that everybody teaching it or using it tends to kind of think of it kind of like a religion, and, and, and that <laughs> that, uh, that kind of winds me up. Well, I was at Gateway Computers, and oh, my Lord, they got Six Sigma in, and that was just the worst. They, they thought they were martial artists. I've got my green Six Sigma belt, yeah. and I didn't really care. It was like, does, does this matter? So you've gone to more courses than I have. I've actually been working on the front with customers. You've been in the office in the back rooms swatting great well done you and that's what worries me about some of these systems that get put in Uh, i mean you're right in that there's a a, you know methodologies and processes are good 
but but you know particularly in today's environment you've got to think in terms of adaptability and you've got to think in terms of, of actually uh, things aren't always going to conform to the process you have to be ready to, to step out of the process and do something different one, one of my um as a friend i lost about a, a month ago a guy called sigurd rind um who um uh, has a product uh, still the company's still going called thingamy was about barely repeatable processes he kind of uh used to talk about uh, erp in, in a rather scathing way and, and talked about it as easily repeatable processes and his argument was that business isn't like that actually th- you know the, the exception happens much more often than, than anybody expects and so actually you need to think about the unexpected and actually think in terms of, of things that aren't repeatable Fair enough. So, Spin and uh, Sandler, from the only things I have picked up from both, mm-hmm. is, and I think it, it, it's it's beholden to what's currently going on today, is the core essence of it is building valuable relationships. Deep deep relationships i mean once as you say you you, you understand the problem you, you listen more than you talk yeah. you you get the need proposition from the client and then you fix the solution right yeah and uh, talking to marcus it was very much the same he didn't put in those words but sandler has a very similar process it's it's and and at the end of the day um in marketing uh, again one of the people we interviewed here was um Tara Hunt yeah. and Tara was very much she's got a brilliant series on LinkedIn or YouTube go and have a look mm-hmm. and she says content has no value attention has no value influencers have no value it's relationships so from a marketing perspective you say you know you can throw money at a wall right and keep throwing your budget mm-hmm. and, and, and guess what people will listen because you're making noise you're, you're, you're spending on that cool video or you're shouting in the papers or you're paying an influencer to talk about you right but as soon as you turn that marketing budget off will any of those three channels still talk about you if the answer is yes then you've created a value relationship but if the answer is no then you've just basically thrown a load of money at a wall and and they've got no interest in you and i'd um agree partially in in, in that um I, I think you know creating content is still important i mean obviously if you're outsourcing it to someone then that that, that's potentially a problem i think they're important yeah but But they're only important if you're... How do you measure the value of that content? It's got to be in the revenue return. I think this connects back to uh, um, the, the, the why question that we had earlier, um, which is, uh, you know, actually, um, business is about building long-term relationships. Business is about... Um, not forgetting the why of, of why it is that you do and, and it's actually the more successful organizations are the ones that haven't forgotten why they do what they do and and the more successful organizations are the ones that actually tell their story better to connect and develop long-term relationships so actually a really big component in this is actually um uh, you know getting the story straight and actually making sure your people are good storytellers so, so for me it's a it's a big missing component particularly in our technology industry where i mean we mentioned disruptive live uh, the last uh, cloud expo europe we were interviewing uh, uh, you know uh, a dozen um, or more different uh, uh, tech sales guys and gals and actually getting those people to actually get above the technology, get above the acronyms and, and, and the innards of, of, of what their product does and actually talk in terms of business outcomes and what it really does for one of their customers. It was really tough. And, yeah. and, and, and I'm afraid, you know, I've been around in the industry for 40 years. It's always been like that. We're always within the tech space, not very good at actually getting above the bits and bites of our uh, of our solutions and actually talking about what they really do. 
Yeah, we were talking about Microsoft having gone through a really good digital transformation, mm. and we were talking about uh, Humor Cloud's cartoon, The Blue yeah. Monster. Yes. You know, Microsoft, make a change or get, go home, yeah. um, which was uh, instigated by a friend of ours, Steve Clayton, yeah, who's yeah, Microsoft's chief storyteller, yeah. uh, and a Liverpool fan, just to get that in. <laughs> The guy of taste. I used to work with him at Microsoft. And he, I forgot you were a Liverpool supporter. Massive, yeah. Yeah, we won't mention Gerard's FA Cup to West Ham fans. They get upset. We, we were three minutes before the... Before the uh, again, three taking minutes the, after the trophy. you weren't. So that's all I'll say. Um, that was a rough year. Yeah, it was. 2006. I can't remember it. I just remember being celebrating. Anyway. Um, but yeah, he's the chief storyteller at Microsoft. And so, again, I think you're right. Storytelling... Companies need to be much more... I mean, history of humans is about storytelling. It's mm. about passing down that thing. And I think it's been massively transformational for Microsoft, both internally and externally, having stories they can tell. That, that Sapiens book by Yuvraj... Hui, you've got me now. Yeah. Yuri Naval. That's that, that, that guy. I mean, that, that, is a, that is a really brilliant book that actually highlights, you know, the, the, uh, you know wh- where we came from and what, what makes us different. And, yes. and, and it's all about uh, storytelling and, and, and connection. And, and the follow-up, Homodeus, is just as good as well. I haven't have. got to that yet. It's good. Highly recommend it. And his last one he's got out is The 21st Rules of the 21st Century. See, I've bought that, but it's just sitting on my Kindle. I haven't, I haven't read that yet. Never read a book, I do. <laughs> I just listen to them. Audible. <laughs> Very sensible. <laughs> I haven't got time. And it also clutters up the study. Just doesn't look good. It makes me look intelligent when people come in and study if I had loads of books, but mine's pretty empty. So, um, anyway, we digress. You were at IBM. You're doing some spin selling. What happens after IBM? Uh, I, uh, I, they give you a clock after 10 years, and I couldn't, couldn't actually handle that, so I left after nine. Um, <laughs> and, and I've been in kind of like in the, uh, the, the business application software space ever, ever since in, in, in some one fashion or other um, with ERP and CRM and maintenance management systems. Um, but it's very interesting. When, when I look back over the years, um, I think that now is different to then because from um, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, onwards, we had uh, a big disruption in the technology space happening once every seven to ten years. Mainframes, then mini-computers. I was in IBM when, when the personal computer was announced in 1981. Um, then we go client-server, then the first version of the web. It always happens about ten years apart. And, and at each of those transitions, uh, there are big brands that are dis- disappear completely and, and new companies that are formed. And then maybe that's true from 2000 getting into the, 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 this, this century. But something happens, whether it's 2007 or 2010, something happens when suddenly we happen, things are happening simultaneously. Within um, Agile Elephant, we call it the digital enterprise wave, where, where you've, got, you've got the the kind of the confluence of every business shifting to the cloud at the same time that we're all carrying around the internet on, on our mobile phones at the same time as we're all going social and, and social media explodes. So it's cloud, social and mobile happening simultaneously. And we never had disruptions happening simultaneously before. So all bets are off, things are different. And then beyond that, we've got even more technologies coming on like, like, like uh, 3D printing and, uh, and, and other stuff all, all happening simultaneously rather than, with, rather than with gaps. And so that's, that's why I think today is the most exciting time for, uh, for, for being in the tech space because it's changing so rapidly it's 
happening so fast and it's, it means that business is changing faster there are lots of um, globalization and, and people factors that come into this which means that entrepreneurship is totally different um, you know um, in, in, you know and I can as a small business I can uh, get my stuff manufactured uh, the other side of the world in China or India or, or, or somewhere and, and I can make that work cost effectively because all this technology is there yeah I mean it, 2007 you thought that the internet exploded yeah yes or, or technology exploded yeah i think it's a pivotal year for me and um so it, it was the for you just take stepping back from what you just said it was cloud mobile and social, social yeah. meeting together yeah and and what's different about that i mean what 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 was interesting to me while listening to you is your your change points in technology were you know mainframe pc pc internet yeah mine were much more pc windows yeah browser yeah um and then social media mm-hmm. so similar but just different yeah, points different, where I, different step change points yeah, yeah. but they, they were the big ones that i saw mobile of course was yeah. the other one um so but i i always say that that fundamentally nothing really has changed i mean bear with me i mean of course things have changed i mean yeah. but if you go back to your ibm days of a mainframe and a black and white dumb terminal yeah. um the raw processing power was in the mainframe <clears throat> And then we had the black and white dumb terminal because you couldn't have cat colour. Uh, and I remember Token Ring, the network. Do you remember that? Oh, yes. Pre, Pre-TCPIP stacks, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we had this really fairly slow four megabit per second, I think, ETH, uh, no, Token Ring. Yeah. I don't know if it was four or two even. Um, it was pretty slow, 640K of RAM. I mean, you know, the famous who needs more than 640K. Yeah. Um, so... All the all the money, the energy, the power was in in the big box in in the white room that no one was ever allowed to go and touch. Um, but then that changed, and when that changed, um, we we moved you know into faster networking, faster processors. Um, so that's that's I think we, we we're just doing the same thing. We're slopping back. We're in the cloud world now, and we're mo- going to move back to the other side of that fence. I think is going to be. I died. Well, I mean, I, I agree with some of what you say, but I've got a fundamental disagreement. I think that the, 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 like the last century's um, technology growth um, happened in in uh, you know so much slower than now, and and I think part of the of the, of the difference that, that that kind of happens whether it's two thousand seven or two thousand ten. I mean, my argument about two thousand seven is, is is to do with the iPhone. Was, was announced, but it's not the iPhone that was announced. It was in January, Jobs announced it as a closed system um, because he didn't want you to break uh, the deal he had with ITT. I don't want you, you developers, he says in the, in the announcement. Yeah, AT&T, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, I don't want you, de- you developers to, to, to actually um, uh, touch the insides of this thing because you'll break it. But by September 2007, he does a 180 degree flip and opens it up to developers. Oh, but that's becomes, only because becomes, he, he was selling us a beta product. The iPhone three was a beta. I, I mean, I, maybe you're so, right. I don't know what cha- what changed him, but the, but actually changing it to a pl- the bugs. That's what they <laughs> oh, okay. did. That's well, my belief. Uh, I mean, but, but I mean, whichever whichever is true, the fact that they open up is, uh, into a platform is what makes the difference. Same with with Facebook. I mean, you know, in, in two thousand six, um, you know, Zuckerberg gets gets offered a, a billion and a bit to buy it from, from by Yahoo and turns it down, and we're all amazed. Um, coming into two thousand seven, he's got only a tenth of the users of MySpace, but in the middle of the year, he opens up the platform to developers. Suddenly, 
um, that those two, you know, Facebook, Twitter. Um, we, we were early adopters on Twitter after we, we both joined Twitter um, in March 2007. It gets um, becomes the uh, the back channel for South by Southwest in Austin, Texas that year. And that's when all the social media kind of fans jumped on board Twitter and Twitter takes off. And then Dorsey thinks, hey, let's turn this into a company, which happened after it actually got beyond a million users, amazingly. Um, so there are lots of things that happened in 2007. I mean, we started talking about cloud computing in, in 2007. We've never been talking software as a service and, and stuff before that. So I, I say 2007 is the pivotal year, but whether it's 2007 or 2010, from that point on, the rate of change has, has accelerated such that we really are living in a different time than the 90s and the 80s and before. Just like to point out, I was on Twitter before you. You were? You Just were? by month, but it's, <laughs> it's significant. It was, no, it was November 2006 for you. It was February, it was. February the 14th, 2007 for me. <laughs> Yeah, and I hardly ever use Twitter these days, sadly. Um, Okay, so when we come back, um, I want to talk to you about a few things. Uh, We're going to talk about 2020, uh, the next explosion and what that's going to look like. Very good. But you've also got a book caught, we mentioned briefly, and we're going to talk a little bit more about reinvention, impossible. I want to know what that title's all about and why you've done that. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, you know, when we look at 2020, we're going to be talking about blockchain, AI, 5G, some of those technologies and how, when we smash those together, what the world's going to look like. Um, There's there's a guy I want to talk about as well called Roland Corse. He's a Nobel Prize winner for economics in 1930. Absolutely. And why the law of diminishing firms is going to be so important in 2020. Coast in the firm, very good. Yes, but we're off to the news, and uh, when we come back from the news, uh, it'll be great if you could stick with us, and if you've got questions, please remember to join the Facebook group, Sam Talks Technology, leave us some questions there, or just to subscribe. Uh, the podcast of this show will be up tonight, so again, you'll be able to listen back if you missed the first half. Where have you been? What have you been doing? Oh yeah, it's work. Anyway. Until then, we'll uh, we'll go over to the news at Sky. You're listening to Sam Sethi on Marlow FM. Got a face for radio. I do indeed. I have a face for radio. Thank God I do. Um, welcome back, everybody. Uh, you're listening to Sam Sethi, yes, on Marlow FM, and I'm joined by my good friend David Terror today. Hello, David, again. Welcome hey. back. Uh, we've been talking about David's career. He's the co-founder of Agile Elephant, uh, a organization that looks at transformation disruption in within organizations and uh, but we were talking a little bit about before the break why t- 2007 was a pivotal year mm-hmm. and we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, 2020 as being the next pivotal year or at least that's what we both think and what's going to come around and what we both think but i just want to have a little bit of a mental break there's a track that you wanted me to play this this is by mary black and it's called by the time it gets dark why, who, what, explain. It's actually a song written by Sandy Denny. She never actually created a, a proper studio version, the demos you can get, but this is a, from the Transatlantic Sessions uh, with Emily Lou Harris supporting it. It's a lovely little song that's actually, the message is, uh, if you've had a really crappy day, um, don't worry because uh, by the time it gets dark, everything's going to be better. Okay, here we go, Mary Black. Baby, every dog really has his day And it matters to me to see you smiling Why don't we blow all your cares away? Yesterday 
got to be free as the leaves of not You may be sad, but it will never last And maybe by the evening we'll be laughing Just wait and see all the changes there'll be Black. I like that. So it was lovely. Brilliant song. She was with Emmylou Harris. And a bunch of really excellent musicians. Yes. Very nice. Is that your style of music, your genre? I actually go for everything from ABBA to Zappa. Um, so it's <laughs> to Z. <laughs> lovely. <laughs> but, but, I mean, you, you're a jazz aficionado. More than half the um, records and CDs in the collection are, are, are jazz of some some form. So you yeah, couldn't, couldn't live with that jazz. There's a great, uh, just to plug Marlowe FM, there's a great programme on Sundays uh, called Swing That Music with... Um, so, yeah, that's a jazz show. Oh, well, well, I was kind of brought up on, on uh, um, some of the more kind of progressive types of jazz, but but I've then gone back and, and researched the whole of it. And, uh, yeah, like I say, half the collection. I have to say, it's a genre that's missed me, but that's <laughs> fine. It can't be everything for that, everyone. That's why you have to listen to this Billie Holiday song later on. Yes, that's <laughs> coming up, a lovely Billie Holiday song. OK, uh, let's get back to the business and technology stuff, though, which is what we're here for. Um, so we were talking about 2000 being pivotal. And I, I, I agree with you. I think I, I'd probably say maybe 2010, yeah. but that's all right, doesn't it? It's in that space. Yeah. Um, and... That was cloud, mobile, and social. I was just saying that actually, cloud and mobile to me, yeah. maybe wrongly, but to me, was just a, 
uh, a movement of the processing power back and forth. That's how I always see networking systems or systems, right? It was mainframe to, to dumb terminal, then it was uh, mini computer to smart PC because the power had balanced itself out a bit because the network bandwidth was there. And then we went to dumb mobile phones which didn't have much raw processing power and and we had 3g and so the network has gone again so all the power was back on the cloud and then as we're beginning to see the evolution of more powerful processes within the phones and the, the 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 balance of where the processing is done is local so if you look at for example the announcements at apple's last developer conference they're very much saying that the processors locally are going to do a lot of the work so that for privacy reasons that we're not sending data back and forth and 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 they're not storing anything so I, that, that, that's, just, that's just a view from me, that's all. I, I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but I think that uh, uh, part of the significance is that in, in the previous maybe uh, two, three three decades uh, we had a technology industry that was based around uh, Windows technology and Intel chips the Wintel uh, platform uh, yeah yeah, and and, uh, and that's technology of a certain size and then that, that begets uh, lots of other related technology and p- pieces suddenly with the shift to mobile we've miniaturised the, 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 the building blocks um, to, a, to a totally different level and that's what opens up um, you know 5G and the internet of things and the connectivity and, 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 and mobility and portability is because we've shifted the the, the, like the, the, the core technology platform that everyone, everything is built on from from the PC sized thing to the, to the, to the, a much smaller form factor, and it, it just opens up so many opportunities. Well, Intel could have done with your help because they certainly needed digital transformation because they missed the ARM chip. Yeah. They, they they fundamentally missed the mobile yeah. um, step yeah. just as much as Microsoft missed the mobile step. You know that Wintel architecture was in the cash cow business, and Innovator's dilemma was that. They weren't going to change. Even more amazing that Microsoft missed it. I mean, you know, uh, you know, just and you know, and then and then failed in their second attempt as well. Well, I know both the people involved. <laughs> Sadly, Peter Canuck, who lives in Cookham Dean, yeah. was the first person in charge of mobile for Microsoft, and the second person who also lives in Cookham Dean or near Cookham Dean was uh, Andy Lee's. I'm not and, moving there. And I'm just saying, gentlemen, you used to work in the UK with us, and you both missed mobile badly so what else can i say about it um and i don't think they're going in for the third round i don't see microsoft going back into mobile no uh, no it'll be, it'll, be a, it'll be a different landscape there'll be, there'll be other things that, they, that that satcher can go after well no i think what he's been brilliant at doing is actually you know i, I never would have thought in my days in microsoft that they would have been using linux yeah or Linux, however you want to say it. Yeah. Um, and they, they would be more open software services that they would provide, and then they would move Office to other platforms so that it became... I mean, I'm, I don't use Microsoft Office anymore either. I, I, in fact, I don't use Microsoft. Microsoft. No, actually, you know, I said earlier that I, I think Google isn't worth investing into. <laughs> but there's the one thing is their, their, their open Office platform stuff um, yeah. has one killer feature that... I can't use Office for. Um, it's the ability to share documents with a really simple URL and integrate it to the web. I think it's just killer. And inter- interestingly, the core technology from that comes from from uh, Larry, their acquisition of Larry Krause's second um, product, uh, Jotspot. Oh, really? In 2006, yeah. I mean, uh, um, so I might only know about this because uh, I was his um, European partner for... Uh, so Jotspot was an enterprise wiki product, product um, uh, you know, around the time when we were talking about wikis as a separate thing and uh, I, I started... Again you've just lost the millennials <laughs> but keep going <laughs> 
and uh, he 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 sold out uh, Jotspot to um, uh, to uh, Google in uh, in um, November 2006, and that's what became the core of what we know as Google Docs and and, and, okay. and Google Sites. Wow. Nice, never knew that. Interesting story. Okay, so um, fast forward another decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, a decade and a bit. We're here in 2019, obviously. 2020 fast approaching. Big announcements coming out from. Various telecom companies say EE have got their 5G networks rollout somewhere. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's two people can use it, but it's there, it exists, and O2's talking about it, and Vodafone, and I, th- I think uh, three even are boasting that they might have the biggest, fastest uh, three, uh, 5G network. You know, I think that they all bought different spectrum at a very expensive rate, and um, yeah, we'll see which one wins, but... Um, so 5G fundamentally as a technology, as a uh, platform, is here, okay? Um, US, some of the companies have 5G, some of them are lying about it, they're calling it 5G light, which isn't 5G at all. Um, but the biggest problem is you need the 5G receiver in your phone. Mm-hmm. So existing phones, three, you know, the, the, even the iPhone X or the new Samsung Galaxy 10, no, the 10 might be okay, but 9 um, are just not going to work on a 5G network. It's an issue. I mean, but, but however, I think um, 5G is more than just another G. And, uh, okay, and, explain. And, and, what do you think to, it is? Um, I, I think that there are things within the architecture of 5G that are going to actually make uh, a big difference. So, for example, um, I'm driving along in my driverless car and uh, I actually want very low latency for the the bit that's going to make sure that I avoid killing that pedestrian who's just jumped out in the road, um, which is a different kind of um, latency and, and, and bandwidth required for me and the kids sitting in the back watching a movie, um, where we actually want oodles of bandwidth and, 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 and uh, um, a, a different kind of... One of the things that 5G can do is it can actually slice up the, 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 the network bandit, bandwidth in, into, the, into a portion for me in the back and a portion for the car so it doesn't kill me. So, so it's that kind of thing that, that, that's, that's going to help 5G, uh, that why 5G is not just um, 1G to 2G to 3G to 4G. It's a bit faster. Yes, it's a bit faster, but it's going to do lots more things and it opens up lots more uh, ways and use cases for, for doing things differently in factories, uh, in cities, uh, all around the world. It, it, not quite sure who's going to pay for all this new infrastructure that's, uh, that's going to re- uh, be required to make all this happen, but the potential is enormous. Yeah, uh, the current mm. um, broadcast is about 400 metres on each 5G uh, transmitter. Yeah, so suddenly there's an awful lot more aerials going to be required all over my city. Yeah, I mean, but if you look at, I mean, I look at uh, houses that have TV aerials, right, yeah, yeah. and sky dishes, um, and we all sort of bought into that because we needed them. <clears throat> I can I can see 5G aerials being fitted into lampposts, into various devices. I don't know if it'll be so obvious. I, I, I can imagine there'll be a deal from the likes of BT or whoever, um, you know, to replace your fixed-line broadband at home yeah. with a... Well, it can't be a 5G network, it has to be a 6G network, strangely. There is a technology reason for that, and I won't bore you with it now. But there is. Um, but, but by the time we change the fixed line and have a dish on the side of the house or a transmitter for a, a XG, 5G stroke 6G, that's fine. I can see us all going down the road. and so. But it, it, it's going to be a slow burn. I think it's going to take most of the next 20s um, to really get significant rollout of 
5G across devices and across um, urban areas like this. I think you're right. Uh, I think you're, we're going to get a taste of, 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 uh, of you know, part of it when when our, mo- our particular um, mobile phone network goes goes 5G and, and gives us a bit faster. But you're right. The, the rest of the benefits are going to come longer term, and and, and they're going to be um, all across industry. They're going to be to do with um, digital manufacturing happening in a totally different way, and, and the amount of control that I've got for for uh, and the feedback and devices and, and data I'm collecting is, is, is I mean, the the jump in data that we're going to deal with. Uh, as uh, uh, an industry and a civilization is is amazing. Yeah, I, I go back to my point. <laughs> okay, and I'm going to reiterate it. Um, we we are now seeing a bigger pipe, right? So, when the pipe gets bigger, yeah. the processing moves and shifts its place. So, 2010, seven, let's say, was cloud, right? Light device, mobile. Yeah, yeah. I think. Your example of the car yeah. with 5G yeah. is the car's going to have to have more raw processing yeah. power. Local, more intelligence. In the because end. I don't think LiDAR, which is the radar that sits on top, is going to be able to transmit the 10 gig yeah. per second yeah. that it needs to uh, up to any intelligent device to be able to tell it, don't hit David, he's just in front of you, right? Yeah. I don't think the latency that you're talking about is going to be significantly small enough yeah. uh, and useful enough for cars to have self-driving cars. So I don't know if 5G will give us that. I think it might do it on things like smart motorways. Yeah. I think single straight line roads. I can imagine Tesla this week updated the uh, automated um, pilot self-driving car thing feature mm. it was a software update and robert scoble demoed it in his uh, facebook video you know of him driving to the restaurant with his son and they filmed it and he had his hands off and it was changing lanes but i think in a safe open area where there's no trees there's no hedges there's measurable distances and lanes are pretty straight yeah i can see self-driving cars working i think you come to cook and dean where i live and you try and get a 5g reception here we can hardly get 4g let alone 5g yeah. it's the rural digital line yeah i mean large, it just yeah. won't happen so i can see in towns and cities yeah there will be um an ability for that i think i mean one one of um our, our kind of um bits of our our philosophy is is, is that there are no one-size-fits-all solutions and and, and this is a, another example of that and in the, in the, you know there are different tools for, for each job and we shouldn't be talking about you know, cloud is the answer, or on-premise is the answer, or um, a certain kind of uh, of computing approach is the answer. Actually, we, we should actually allow for lots of flexibility and adaptability, and, and use lots of different types of technology to make to make things work. And, and, and this is this is actually you know uh, where five G uh, you know actually has advantages because of the, the the different ways you can do things. No, and I fully agree. But but what I was trying to say was, I think five G is this panacea that we've all been waiting for. And I wonder whether it's just going to be, oh, oh, okay, it's here. I can get Netflix quicker, you know, and, and, and will people then pay for that? Yeah. You know, not, from the consumer point of view, someone's, got, as you said, someone's got to pay for this stuff, right? Yeah. Um, I will, for the first time, upgrade my iPhone 6S Plus to the, whatever, the iPhone 11S Plus, right? I don't yeah. know what it's going to be called. Or the iPhone 5, um, just to go back. Um, but... But that's the first time I'll do it, and only for one reason, is because the hardware will change to have a 5G transmitter within it. And they're looking at 2021 before we get that iPhone out. Um, Samsung are talking about doing a software upgrade to the the 10, I think, the Galaxy uh, Plus, or Galaxy S. I I don't even know how they do their system. Um, I'm not an Android fan. Again, no Google. Um, And 
So on that basis, I think we will start to see the early adopters like you and me, mm. we will jump on board the 5G. I remember getting my first 4G change bar, mm. it happened, and that was actually more significant from 3 to 4 for me because actually it was a bit like jumping from 2 megabit broadband to mm. 20 megabit broadband. Things mm-hmm. just became usable, mm. but I don't know whether me jumping from 4G to 5G where I go from 20 to 100 is going to make, I don't know, that much difference. I don't know, for me, as a consumer, let's say. I, I think that this is part of the problem with, with technology and that the, the hype always... We always imagine it's going to happen quicker than it does. It always takes longer to be adopted. But actually, in, in general, usually the, the, the implications and changes are actually further reaching, even though it's taken longer. So, it, you know, I, I think we're a, a very interesting inflection point where things really are going to change in the next, um, you know, in the next five years. One of the problems with being a futurist, uh, you know, is, um, you know... It, um, uh, there's a really good um, Danish saying that it's uh, very dif- difficult to make predictions, especially about the future. Yes, I mean, yeah. <laughs> what was Alvin Toffler's? The future is here. It's just unevenly distributed. Yeah. That's it. And I, I tend to agree. I mean, I, I say to friends, I live in the future in the sense that uh, the Internet of Things that I have at home, I've just got the new Amazon Five Echo just delivered today. So I'll be integrating that with my Echo, uh, sorry, my the rest of the house, but I'll also be integrating it with um, but the Ring doorbell and all those things I've got. And you know, it, it, I, that, that's brilliant. But and I think part of the we, we are living in a time that's different, uh, and you know. Uh, um, uh, I know that you, you like me, were born before 1974. Yes. Um, and, you know, we have been around on the planet for 200,000 years. As, 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 Talk for uh, yourself. I've been here since 1966. <laughs> Jesus, you look good for 200,000 years this old. This is true. But, but, I mean... You mean everybody's been here in terms of humans, yes. But, but basically, you know, we got to our first billion in, uh, in uh, 1802. We got to four billion in 1974. You and I have been alive when the population of the planet has doubled, which is staggering. And, and, and uh, you know, I can't remember the number of people that are born every day. So the, num- the numbers, in, both in terms of, of, of ideas and things that are going to happen, just because there are that much, much, many more people, uh, and then the opportunities opened up by 5G and all this connectivity and, 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 and devices and data, everything is going to change in the next five years. I don't know how. Oh, no, I mean, I, 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 funny, I think we've hit an inflection point and it's just going to accelerate faster. I think uh, Mary Meeker's deck showed that... Um, you know, the one that she does every year of the 300-plus mm. slides. Exactly. That mobile, for the first time, you consumed more video on mobile than TV yeah. last year, yeah. 2018. Um, you know, so that's a change. That's a massive change point, right? Um, and I think that, to me, says a lot. That's the uh, millennial generation, my children, watching on the... Fa- they. I've got a big TV in the lounge, right? Like most, you know, people our age. Um, they're very happy on watching Love Island on a iPhone screen. They don't care about screen size. They don't, actually don't care about audio quality. If they listen through Apple iPhone earbuds, they have never heard good music played properly on a proper headphone, right? It's really interesting. I was at uh, IBM uh, Wimbledon yesterday, courtesy of IBM, and obviously, Hob-nubber. and obviously they, they they provide the technology that that, that runs that event, yeah. but both the website and the mobile app. I was looking at the, at the figures of, of, of uh, visitor views of the website versus the the app, the mobile app. I was expecting it to be more on the app. I wasn't expecting the app to be ninety percent. Of the of the traffic, and that's worldwide. That's you know that's a, you know, that's, a, that's the whole audience across yeah. the planet. Yeah, we are in a mobile first world. Um, I I also think one of the other things that will come out of the five G 
roll out when it does happen and as I said it'll take a few years I think 2025 will be when we'll start to really see mm-hmm. some of the benefits but augmented reality will be one of those I think yeah. I think we'll start to see some really interesting there's a couple of apps now ASOS has got one for clothing uh, YouTube has got one recently that came out for girls makeup um, Amazon's got one for furniture I mean but they're all gimmicky fun things right they're not really oh wow killer apps but I think 5G plus smarter phones and better processors and AR evolving I think 2025 will be really good I, I actually use this argument sometimes when I'm talking about, about blockchain um, but if you take yourself back to sort of 93, 94, 95 at the start of the internet you know when we're just in the process of, of figuring out the browser browser wars and, and what you were talking about TCP earlier um, you know we're just at the start of the internet no one had even conceived of Google no one had even conceived of the idea of Facebook there are things like that that are going to happen in the next five years that that none of us have even thought about. Yeah, I mean, again, uh, I had Robert Scoble on the show. We were talking about VR, which I'm not a big fan of, but he's got the new Oculus Rift, which is the first VR device that doesn't have a PC on a cable standing behind you. It's a self-contained product. And he said it's a game changer. He said, you know, he's in his Tesla going up while it's charging, puts him on, it integrates the Tesla as well, and he's just having, you know, and he's got YouTube, he's got browsers on there, he's got games on there. It's like a massive wraparound, you know, screen that he's got in front of him. Mm-hmm. So I think um, that that in itself, again, we can see all these technologies coming through. You, you briefly mentioned blockchain, you know, the, the database where records are non-reputable, really, you know. Um, and that's great, but blockchain has got massive problems with it as well right now in terms of the ledgers in terms of writing speed is only five records per second i think at the moment um and that has to increase you have to find a solution around the, that the, i mean truth is that uh, you know that kind of change that that's true of okay so so blockchain is is, is a distributed ledger uh, you know whether it's permissioned or permissionless is, is one of the key things that the, the really successful use, use cases like ibm's trade lens or the food trust network or ever there, there are uh, you know a, a, quite a few really powerful enterprise use cases that are actually happening and live now. You know, are they tra- private blockchains, th- though? Th- they're, 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 they're private, in, like, like TradeLens, which is actually, um, you know, processing 10 million, 10 million shipping transactions a week. Which is pretty enterprisey. That's not your, you know, whatever it was. If, if it, that's that's that's, that, that, that's, that's actually, but that's an ecosystem of of of, of a probably um, thirty or forty partners. So you're you're right. It's it's private permissioned, and exactly. that's and that's a different. At the moment, you have to do that if you make it open and everyone could join in. You're right that 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 processing power problem will occur. But um, you know, sensible sensible use cases for what what blockchain is for blockchain essentially is, is automating trust and actually potentially can change the way that all commerce can happen over time and i wish we had more time to talk about it but but <laughs> i you know there's a there's a cryptocurrencies initial coin offerings set of hype and, and issues around things like that that transaction rate yeah. that get in the way of the real utility that can come from a, from a, oh, a, yeah. a blockchain, blockchain solution. Now I think blockchain is going to be really good for things like cars and houses and assets yeah. mm. there's a lot of use cases where I think it's useful um, the, the Bitcoin uh, technology that sits on top and uses the underlying blockchain uh, yeah, is, um, is fine but I think um, you know 
It's a whole subject. Anyway, David, uh, we've run out of time, unfortunately. Thank you very much for coming in. It's been a pleasure I having you I never got here. to talk about my book. <gasps> you have to come back. I will. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much, David. You take care.